0: This is the Rocky Mountain Review for Thursday, January 21st, 2021. I'm your host, Coda Babcock. And I'm Ivy Winfrey. And you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins.
1: On today's show, I'll be updating you on campus and local news. And then we'll be hearing from
0: KCSU Assistant Sports Director Jonathan Gillum about what's happening in sports. Then we'll be hearing from Elise Carver and Lydia Doty from Hope Lives. And I'll be delivering some national news. Then, Coda will be giving some updates on COVID-19 and tech news. To conclude the show, I'll update us on the strange things happening in the world. Let's move right into campus and local news.
1: Hello there. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and this is your local and campus news today on the Rocky Mountain Review. Starting off with local news, Colorado will not require people to need an ID in order to receive a COVID-19 vaccine. According to Matt Murray at Colorado Public Radio, Scott Bookman, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment's COVID-19 Incident Commander, announced Sunday that Colorado's COVID-19 vaccine providers cannot require people to provide proof of identification in order to be vaccinated. Providers can still ask people to give their name, age, and address, but those requests cannot dictate whether or not the person will be vaccinated. Vaccinators are encouraged to instead follow a quote-unquote honor system and take a patient's word about their eligibility. If a provider does not follow the new policy, it could lose access to vaccine doses. Colorado is currently in phase one of its vaccination plan, which prioritizes people over the age of 70 and essential frontline workers, like first responders and healthcare employees. Vaccine supplies in Colorado are still low, however. So even if recipients are eligible, a county may not be able to vaccinate everyone in that group. Bookman said of the rule, quote, We understand that while the vaccine supply is limited, providers are looking to verify age so that they know that they are vaccinating groups within the current prioritization phase. However, requiring proof of ID, especially a government-issued ID, can exacerbate in distrust and in accessibility inequalities for many critical groups, end quote. The city of Fort Collins will be holding a free class for community members interested in running for city council. Uh, According to Stephen Bonifazi at North 40 News, the city of Fort Collins is hosting a free council candidate class on Monday, January 25th at 6 p.m. on Zoom to help community members interested in running for city council or assisting with campaigns to learn more about the process. The class will consist of various topics being discussed, including council qualifications, nomination petitions, signature requirements, rules for staffing activities, and campaign finance and reporting requirements. The class will also address general city council information, such as the roles, powers, and procedures of council members. The upcoming municipal election will occur on Tuesday, April 6, where voters will elect a mayor and council members for Districts 1, 3, 4, and 5. For more information about the class or the upcoming elections, you can visit fcgov.com elections. CSU civil engineers have discovered multiple links between the fields of healthcare and education, indicating that the two are interdependent, meaning the success of one relies on the success of the other. According to Jane DeLoss at CSU Source, new research from the Department of Civil Environmental Engineering, published in Nature Scientific Reports, says that hospitals and schools' collective recovery must be considered in order to restore a community in the wake of a disaster. Hospitals and schools are integral to a community's well-being. Because of this, Associate Professor Hassan Mahabud, and PhD graduate student Ahmad Hassan wanted to determine the correlation between them to understand their overall influence on community recovery following extreme events. They found extensive direct and indirect relationships between healthcare and education, indicating recovery of one system relies on the recovery of the other. Mahmoud said of the research, quote, this quantification has never been done before, so is excited to show that they depend on each other quite a bit. Synchronizing the recovery might actually be very important if you want to optimize the overall recovery for the community. The study was done on a virtual community called Centerville, complete with physical, social, and economic sectors and 50,000 individuals. The model was so detailed that the imaginary residents had their own roles within the community and were able to interact, learn, and adapt and make decisions. In response to the high level of interdependence they covered between healthcare and education systems, Hassan and Mahmoud created a Social Services Services Stability Index, so policymakers and community leaders can measure the social services stability within their own communities, based on the functionality of hospitals and schools combined. Mahmoud helps this tool and deeper understanding of how these inter- interdependent systems function will help communities recover faster rather than wither following disaster. He points to Butte County, California, where the population has dropped by 11,000 in the aftermath of the campfire, which badly damaged the only local hospital. Mahmood summed up the research as such, quote, Without schools and hospitals, society cannot function properly, end quote. CSU has announced its plans for required COVID-19 screenings for students during the spring semester. According to Del Rey Sierra Vola at CSU Source, beginning Monday, January 18th, the following students, faculty, and staff are required, per university policy, to screen weekly. All students living in university housing, all students living in fraternity or sorority house, all freshmen or sophomores and one or more face-to-face or lab courses, All staff who are regularly physically on CSU campus or other university grounds in Larimer County, including staff involved in research. All faculty, instructors, and graduate teaching assistants who are teaching a face-to-face class or laboratory who are regularly physically on CSU campus or other university grounds in Larimer County. Any student, faculty, or staff member who is not required to screen may still participate in screening as often as they wish, including employees who do not work in Laramie County, such as Extension, Forest Service, and Agricultural Experiment Station employees. Additional students, faculty, and staff will be added to mandatory schedule in the coming weeks. They'll include all junior, senior, graduate, professional, or second bachelor students in one or more face-to-face or lab courses. All students in one or more hybrid class who are not already screening and all faculty, instructors, and graduate teaching assistants who are teaching a hybrid class and are not already screening. To get screened, all students, faculty, and staff must first register and then schedule a screening time. Links to the registration and scheduling forms were sent to all students, faculty, and staff in a January 14th email from the Pandemic Preparedness Team. Groups currently exempt from the mandatory screening are students who are taking online classes only and who are not living in a university housing or fraternity or sorority house and employees who are working remotely exclusively and are not regularly on campus or CSU worksite in Larimer County and are not expected to screen on this schedule. It is, however, permissible for individuals in these later groups to occasionally visit university grounds for very brief periods of time, such as to pick up mail a file, or library materials, and not to be screened weekly. And that's all the local and campus news I have for today. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review, only at 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. We'll be right back.
0: You just heard campus and local news from Ivy Winfrey. We'll be right back, but stay tuned for sports updates in about two minutes with Jonathan Gillum. <laughs>
2: Local music is a sample element of every city around the world, but unique to every community. KCSU will showcase a part of our international local music exchange, a radio show and podcast collaboration with college radio stations around the world. All participating stations are sharing their local music community with the world. Listen to the podcast at kcsufn.com. Good afternoon, everyone. It is the first sports update of the semester and 2021. And I really don't want to jinx this, but I I think we're going to have a great year in sports. Already, we already have the NFL playoffs underway with the NFC and AFC championship happening this weekend. We have the NBA and NHL seasons, and it looks like baseball is coming around again. Plus... Ram Sports are back. And let's start off right off the bat and giving some praise to the women's basketball team who is off to a hot start, 9-2 starting off so far. Those ladies are playing really well this season. And not only is the women's basketball team doing well, also... Men's basketball is doing great as well. They're off to another another great start, sitting at 10-3 and 3 on the season. It looks to be a good year so far for Ram basketball. Furthermore, just some quick announcements. We will be hopefully shooting for more than just two sports shows this semester, uh, as well as CSU Rams volleyball is about to begin February 5th, and those games can be found right here on KCSU fm we also have more content that can be found online at kcsufm.com if you want to check out podcasts articles and more it's all there we want to thank all the listeners for tuning in and here's to another great semester for kcsu
1: i'm jonathan Gillum, and i'll catch you next time You just heard from Jonathan Gillum about new updates in sports. We're taking a quick break, but stay tuned for CODA's interview with Lydia Doty and Elise Carver from breast cancer support organization, Hope Lives.
2: KCSU thanks Tribal Rights for their continued underwriting support. Tribal Rights is located on College Avenue in Old Town, Fort Collins, and is a full custom tattoo, body piercing, and jewelry studio. Learn more at tribalrightstattoo.com.
0: Today, I'm joined by Elise Carver and Lydia Doty from Hope Lives to talk about the Bingo for Hope event that will be happening on Friday, January 29th, so next week. So, can you introduce yourselves for me really quickly?
3: Sure. My name is Lydia Doty, and I'm the founder of Hope Lives, and our program director is Elise Carver.
4: Hi, hey, thanks. Thanks for having us
0: of course to start out um what do you think bingo for hope is going to look like with the online platform next friday
4: sure i can speak to that so we have registration open this week and so our uh registration site is beans.givesmart.com um because the name of it is beans and bingo for hope because we're partnering with the human beings. So that's B-E-A-N-S dot G-I-V-E-S-M-A-R-T G-I-B-E-S-M-A-R-T dot com. And uh, folks will go on to register so that we can capture their contact information so that we can play the game next week. It'll also have directions for how the, the game will work. Uh, essentially what'll happen is they'll register and then they'll request up to five bingo cards on that same site. It is totally free to play. We do have a suggested donation of $10 per card, um, but it it absolutely is a free event. We'd love to have, you know, the more the merrier. So essentially how it'll work is next week we will send an electronic uh, link via email. And that link they'll click on the night of the event and their digital card will appear, their bingo card. It's gonna be coffee themed around the human being. So a little bit different of a format in that regard. Um, but it's a great tool that we found online. People can either click or touch with, with their, um, on a touch screen device to select the box or unselect the box. And then I can follow up when there's a bingo. And And then the other component is we'll send a Zoom invite next week as well. So that that's how we'll actually manage the event. And the human being is donating some gift cards and prizes. And on our website, we also have a human being uh, swag bag that we're auctioning off as well. And as you said, it'll be next Friday, uh, January 29th from seven to eight o'clock.
0: And then another question, how do the organizations really plan on keeping things engaging while the event is held completely over Zoom and on that Um, other program
4: well uh, one thing is we're just going to run four games so we don't uh, we're not going to stretch it out too long because I have been involved in a few other ones myself not with our organization but in the past and and they can be uh, any one of these virtual offerings can be a lot of fun I do think that attention spans wane a bit uh, if it goes too long. So we're going to have it go from seven to eight o'clock. We'll do four rounds and um, we'll announce who the winner is and we'll say what the prizes are and there's different prizes. So that's kind of an enticement. We're going to tell them that in the beginning that there'll be different prizes worth different amounts and we'll do some non-traditional bingo, uh, what do we want to say, display. instead of the traditional, you know, across or diagonal, we'll have some other fun fun games in there as well. And we will uh, periodically throughout that hour also talk about Hope Lives and what our mission is and and, um, yeah, kind of go from there.
0: All right, and then just going off of that, can you explain kind of the background of Hope Lives, how it started, um, where it's gone so far?
4: I'll let Lydia take that one on.
3: Okay, well, in uh, 2000, which is a long time ago, um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, and I went through a very challenging, arduous treatment protocol. And while I was going through treatment, um, my God told me that I needed to do something to help other women going through this process that will, would outlive me. And so that day, while going through treatment, I started um, putting a nonprofit together, which I had never done before. And that mission, that purpose kept me going that whole year while I was in treatment. Um, I had a reason to live. And so fortunately, uh, the treatment was successful. Um, Chemo, multi surgeries, multi hospitalizations and um, I came out okay on the other end. And meanwhile, the end of that year, I was able to hold our first gala, our first symposium and our first 5K run. And that next January, we started providing free services to women diagnosed with breast cancer. And it was focused on Larimer County and bringing it forward this last year, we have expanded our services to also include Weld County. So um, I just felt that uh, it was important to embrace more of Northern Colorado since women in Greeley are serviced by UC Health or, or by the banner system. And so we wanted to be sure and include the whole area. Um, and what we provide is um, Integrative services, which help a woman through her treatment period. So in other words, while she's getting Western medicine, we help her whole body endure that. So we will provide acupuncture for pain management or nausea, lymphedema massage, because oftentimes a woman's arm will swell because of treatment um, we, we have therapeutic massage, we have house cleaning, we have wigs, we have lots of services that are supplementing the Western medicine she's going through. So that is, that is our mission.
0: All right, and then Lydia, what do you think the significance of the social, emotional, financial impacts that you just described? What do you think that the significance of that is on each woman's life? It's massive.
3: Um, Every woman that goes through our program speaks so highly of how Hope Lives helped her significantly get through her treatment, how she would not have been able to either afford or know of some of these modalities that we expose her to, and how those things were the highlights, were the positive things during the treatment period. And so every, I, I get stopped in the grocery store and a stranger will come up to me and say, I just wanna thank you because my treatment was so hard and your services helped me so much. So yeah, it's, it's a, a work of the heart, it really is. All right,
0: and then what brought you to the, to the decision to partner with the human being specifically in this mission? Well, Elise, why don't you tackle that one?
4: Well, um, I, I know that the human being is a very strong supporter in our northern Colorado community. And I know that from previous employments with a, a, another nonprofit as well. They really uh, walk the walk. And our goal this year is to partner with many people in different businesses in our community, as well as other nonprofits, because we want to be that same partner and that same friend, um, not only to our folks with breast cancer um, journeys in Northern Colorado, but again, with other um, businesses and and, uh, other entities in our community. And so it just seemed to make A lot of sense that we would start off the year. We plan on doing lots of different fundraisers, and we're always open for new opportunities or ideas. And and often it's a win-win for both sides. And and we we both bring in folks and and um, just usually have a a nice time. And and the of course one hundred percent of our funding stays local for for our folks. So it just seemed like a perfect fit and a great way to start off the year with a with a fun event and it's been a wonderful partnership so far on this event and I hope that it continues um, in the future and I know that they've helped us I believe in the past Lydia can speak more to that so it just was it just made a lot of sense
3: I might jump in and just also comment a total departure from uh, the human being our next bingo will be in sponsorship with Beck's martial arts now, who would have guessed? <laughs> but they also, they they help families. They have a lot of classes for kids. And so they are a supporter of Hope Lives. And so they will be our headliner for the next bingo.
0: All right. Thank you. And then how do you think that partnering specifically with community-based organizations and businesses really helps to also drive people's knowledge of Hope Lives and its mission? Because- you're first when you're first diagnosed with anything you don't always know where to go
4: Lydia do you want to speak to that at all or would you like me to go ahead well I think that it's just um engaging in the in the community is just extremely important Uh, I I think being a the program director always top of mind is our is our clients and meeting as much need as we possibly can So we always want to make sure our referral sources are strong, that when someone does get this diagnosis, they know that they can uh, row in. They know that we'll row in with them and we will companion with them. And that takes a village to get get that, um, that word out. We want to definitely make sure that all of the cancer facilities and medical referral sources, of course, are strong, but there's so much to be said with meeting folks out in the community and saying, hey, I know about this Hope Lives. Why don't you talk to them, especially when they're first getting this diagnosis, and it's so scary and overwhelming, and, and it just makes sense. You know, we we partner with various providers in Northern Colorado as well to offer these services, and so it's, it's really a win-win, um, hopefully for them as well, and they can build relationships, and they can spread the word out more, and And always looking for fundraising opportunities, like with the human being. But I I think it's several prongs to this, um, in order to really have, um, to really live our mission and continue to grow and meet as much need as we possibly can. So, uh, you know, we're all connected, and with there's threads throughout the community. So I I think that it's just very very essential to meeting as much need as we can.
3: I'd like to add something. It's a comfort bag that we give every client that we work with and in it are items that someone really could use or makes the experience a little easier when they're going through chemo, for example. And so I got a text today. It said, I'm here for my fifth infusion. Yippee, seven to go. Thanks again for Hope Lives. It is a blessing to me. So she took a picture of the comfort kit, which she took with her to her chemo infusion. And so this is the kind of response we get again and again.
0: That's really great to hear that you're making such an amazing impact for these women. Um, And then going back to the event, if we're ready to do that, um, can you tell me a little bit about the history of the Bingo for Hope events?
4: Well, sure. It's a, a pretty uh, quick history here. <laughs> this short. is actually our first bingo. Oh, this is so the first one. <laughs> it is. It is. Yes. This is our inaugural bingo. So essentially we <clears throat> leased some software last year to do our virtual auction and um, it can do all kinds of different things. And so we want to utilize it as much as we can. And one of our goals is here is to just have fun and find different ways that will be appealing to different folks. And so we thought bingo might be a good uh, way to start. Uh, we're having a Valentine's store next month uh, where people can buy various Valentine's gifts. And and like like Lydia said, continuing with uh, Beck's bingo. And um, there's a lot of different Things that we want to do and have different themes. We want to do one around spring break, and we might want to do some with some other partners in particular. So, we are just really enthusiastic about just making a fun year and having many different opportunities. And if if bingo doesn't really float your boat, but you want to um, take part in any of these or or just support your neighbors with you know in their breast cancer journey, there is a there is a uh, an opportunity. With, with Hope Lives. And so that was just sort of part of our mission of just trying different things and, and see how it goes and hopefully have a little bit of fun in the meantime. So yeah, it's our first
0: one. Do you think you're gonna make it a tradition?
4: We're hoping to, we're hoping to have one next month and and um, yeah, continue, continue on with it. You know, it'll be interesting to see once the world hopefully gets back to normal, um, how, uh, what virtual, uh, Opportunities people still have a, a palette for, but I, I hope so. I think it would be a lot of fun, and really, like we said, we just really want to be able to offer many different opportunities, folks, uh, for folks to get involved. So,
3: Coda, uh, I might add to that. As you well know, COVID has really changed the horizon for nonprofits, and it was very challenging for us because we raised most of our funding for our program through having a a once a year gala and that once a year gala would raise a couple hundred thousand dollars and all of a sudden we had to cancel that gala where 500 people would come to it and we had to reinvent ourselves as a lot of us have had to do i mean that's why we're having a zoom interview and so by as we reinvent, we have to think of creative ways to still raise money so that we can continue paying for services. And um, you know, it's been challenging to be creative about what can we do that would be fun and involve the community. We had a golf tournament that we are going to do again. In fact, we're talking about doing it twice a year. We had a sellout golf tournament. That's an activity that was outdoors. So we weren't really afraid of you know, having infection travel. Uh, and so that was a new thing for us. We've never done that before. And now we're trying various virtual things. We've had concerts on Facebook. A few of them have been successful and a few were kind of sleepy. But um, so that's really why we're having a bingo. We're, we're trying different things. We really have to because we never want to have to say no to a woman.
0: All right, thank you. And then if anyone wants to learn more about Hope Lives, but maybe doesn't want to attend the bingo, so doesn't want to register for it, where can they access more information?
4: Absolutely, our website is hopelives.org. On there, we have an application for folks that do have this diagnosis. We also have a listing of all of our providers, our mission statement, um, when we have different events, Uh, You can also absolutely reach out to me at any time. I'd I'd love to talk with you further. You can reach me at elise at hopelives.org. That's E-L-I-S-E at H-O-P-E-L-I-V-E-S.org. Or you can call our office 970-225-6200.
3: And also no donation is too small. We have a donate button on our website too. Good
0: point. Thanks, for
4: bringing that one up
0: all right before we go is there anything that either of you would like to add about the event
4: it'll be a lot of fun absolutely it does close this monday so that we have an opportunity to get all the invitations out in the bingo cards so if you're thinking about doing it um it does close on monday the 25th so love to have you join we have uh, plenty of room still
0: all right thank you so much for joining me today both of you um, I really appreciate it, and I think that this is going to be a really interesting event.
4: You've been delightful. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Koda. Thank you so much for your time.
0: Of course. All right, you just heard from Elise Carver and Lydia Doty of Hope Lives about the joint Bingo for Hope fundraising event with the human Bean. We'll be right back with national news highlights for January 21st.
2: Did you know that the National Audubon Society has a regional office in Fort Collins? Audubon Rockies protects birds and the places they need in Colorado and Wyoming through science, outreach, and policy. Find out how you can help Audubon Rockies empower people through community science, volunteerism, and grassroots advocacy at rockies.audubon.org. That's rockies.audubon.org. udubo norg
0: back on the Rocky Mountain Review. For those just joining us now, we've heard from Ivy Winfrey about Fort Collins City Council, changes in COVID-19 vaccinations in Colorado, and the results of a CSU study about education and healthcare. After that, we heard from Jonathan Gillum with new updates in sports, and we had an exclusive interview with Elise Carver and Lydia Doty from Hope Lives, a breast cancer support organization that is currently preparing for their event Bingo for Hope next Friday. To catch up on any of these stories, you can visit kcsufm.com slash news or look for us on the KCSU FM Spotify account under playlists and listen there. I'm Coda Babcock, and this is National News Highlights for Thursday. Joe Biden was inaugurated as the 46th President of the United States yesterday and has already started working to set his agenda in solving the COVID-19 pandemic, reversing climate change, changing immigration policies, and working for racial justice. He's also planned out his first 100 days in office due to the relevance of his decisions on all U.S. residents and citizens, today's national news highlights will be entirely focused on different changes we're already seeing from the Biden administration. Biden has already signed over a dozen new actions. According to a group of reporters at National Public Radio, these actions focus on COVID-19, the U.S. economy, racial justice, and climate change. Included in these actions is a mask mandate for, on all federal property, including in states without mask mandates. Similarly, the Biden administration has made the decision to remain a part of the World Health Organization, also known as WHO. The travel ban blocking travel from some Muslim-majority nations under the Trump administration has also been removed, and Biden has halted construction and funding related to the wall along the U.S.-Mexico border. Biden has also revoked the Keystone XL Oil Pipeline's permit, meaning that there will no longer be construction of the pipeline, which would deliver oil from Canada to Nebraska and connect to an existing pipeline that goes to the Gulf Coast. According to White House Press Secretary Jen Biden has also requested that agencies work to extend moratoriums on evictions and foreclosures in the U.S. and pause student loan payment requirements and student loan interest. According to Elliot Spaggett of the Associated Press, The U.S. Department of Homeland Security has announced a 100-day moratorium on deportations for some non-citizen U.S. residents, which starts this Friday. Biden has also announced another immigration proposal, which would allow for a new path to citizenship for undocumented residents who have resided in the U.S. since December 31st of last year or before. This would give around 11 million people legal status within the U.S. and, quote, reduce the time that family members must wait outside the U.S. for green cards, end quote. According to NPR, Biden has also reversed a Trump policy that excluded undocumented immigrants from the census count. In addition to this, Biden has rejoined the Paris Climate Agreement on behalf of the United States and began reinstatement of Obama-era environmental regulations, which had been reversed by former President Donald Trump. According to the New York Times, this reinstatement included more than 100 regulations, which are being reviewed for reinstatement and revision by federal agencies. These actions, along with cancellation of the Keystone XL pipeline, have moved handling the current climate crisis to one of the Biden administration's primary goals. While Biden is heavily depending on executive orders at the moment, he said, quote, they are just executive actions. They are important, but we are going to need legislation for a lot of things, end quote. That's all for National News Highlights. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review, now for COVID-19 updates. Colorado State University has a cumulative total of just under 2,000 cases of COVID-19 since the university began recording cases in May. For information on CSU's new screening requirements for students, staff, and faculty, you can re-listen to Ivy's campus and local newscast at kcsufm.com slash news, or you can visit covid.colostate.edu. CSU has released an article with mental health resources for students, faculty, and staff in coping with the COVID-19 pandemic. This article includes information about You at CSU, a student wellness resource, multicultural counseling services, themed therapy groups, the employee assistance program, the CSU Center for Mindfulness, and more. This information can be found at covid.colostate.edu under the title, It's Okay to Not Be Okay. Larimer County has just over 17,000 recorded cases of COVID-19 and 182 people have died as a result of the virus in the county. The risk score for Co- for Larimer County is well into the high-risk range, and on Colorado's COVID-19 dial framework, the county is rated as level orange, high-risk. There have been over 100 new cases in the past 24 hours, and every day in the past two weeks has seen a minimum of 15 new cases per day. Larimer County's 14-day r- case rate is 348 per 100,000 residents, which is considered very high. In the past two weeks, only one day has seen more than 10% of cases come back positive. 47 COVID patients are currently in the hospital, overall hospital utilization is at 72% and ICU utilization is at 77%. The state of Colorado currently has a total of nearly 380,000 cases and there have been over 5,400 deaths among cases. Over 2.3 million people in the state have been tested and there have been over 3,300 outbreaks statewide. The Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment has created a program in which Colorado residents can activate their phones for COVID-19 exposure notifications. This app is used to let people know if their phones have been near someone who recently tested positive for COVID-19 so that they can appropriately quarantine and get tested. For information to activate this voluntary program, you can visit addyourphone.com or covid19.colorado.gov. Nationwide there are a total reported 24.4 million cases of COVID-19 and over 400,000 people have died as a result of the virus. On January 20th, over 180,000 people were diagnosed with COVID-19 and 4,000 people died as a result of the disease, meaning that there was a 16% there was a 16% decrease in cases and a 14% increase in deaths. The only way for those not yet eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine to protect themselves and others from virus transmission and complications is by washing your hands for 20 seconds regularly wearing a face mask or cloth face covering avoiding touching your face and staying at home when possible information from this segment was gathered from the csu covid site larimer county the colorado department of public health and environment the new york times and the centers for disease control i'm koda babcock and you're listening to the rocky mountain review on 90.5 kcsu fort collins we'll be right back with tech and weird news Glass Cases, and they're local. Yo, this slaps, who is this? Plasma Cases, they're local too. Yo, dude, this freaking slaps, like, who is this? This is Zerk, and I know they're local!
4: Your new favorite band is right in your backyard. Find them here on 90.5 KCSU, Fort Collins.
0: Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Coda Babcock, and this is Tech News for Thursday. A former engineer for Google who was sentenced to 18 months in prison was pardoned by former President Donald Trump. According to BBC News, Andrew Lewandowski was pardoned in the last hours of Trump's term, along with 72 others. Lewandowski had not yet started his sentence, and he was charged for trade secret-related crimes after stealing confidential information about self-driving cars from Google in order to create his own car company, which he called Auto. As a Google employee, he downloaded over 14,000 files that were the intellectual property of Waymo by Google before leaving to run his new project, which was quickly purchased by Uber. He was first sentenced in August 2020. Leaders from the House Oversight Committee of the U.S. House of Representatives called for an investigation of Parler's relationship to the Capitol attack. According to McKenna Kelly at The Verge, Committee Chair Carolyn Maloney called for the Federal Bureau of Investigation to, quote, conduct a robust examination of the role that social media site Parler played, end quote, in the insurrection at the Capitol. Parlor users have reportedly faced charges previously for violent threats against elected officials, and Parlor was removed from Google Play and the App Store following the violent insurrections. Many web hosts have also refused to give them service. Social media information has so far supported the FBI in investigating 150 cases into the actions of individual participants. Twitter has locked the Chinese embassy Twitter page. According to Michelle Toh of CNN Business, China is now claiming to be a victim of misinformation after their account was restricted by the social media site. The Chinese embassy in the United States was locked after they posted a tweet defending Chinese treatment of Uyghur Muslims, particularly women. The Post claimed that women within the ethnic minority were, quote, emancipated and gender equality and reproductive health were promoted, end quote. According to many reports, Uyghur Muslim women have been forcibly sterilized in western China. The U.S. understands this as a genocide, and in a statement by former U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, he said, quote, This genocide is ongoing and we are witnessing the systematic attempt to destroy the Uyghurs by the Chinese Party state, end quote. That's all for tech news. Now for weird news with my co-host, Ivy Winfrey.
1: Hello there. My name is Ivy Winfrey. And sometimes we need to get a little weird with it. So here's a few of the weirdest stories I've found from around the world today. Players for the Australian Open Tennis Tournament have been told not to feed the mice that reportedly appeared in their hotel rooms while in quarantine. According to BBC Sports, several players in the Australia Open have been quarantined in a hotel for two weeks needed for quarantine after fears of an outbreak. Yulia uh, Putinzeva, from Kazakhstan, ranked number 28th in the world for tennis, reported that her room had mice, and, after swapping to another room, found that room also infested. After complaints from multiple players in quarantine, including Putinzeva, Victoria State Police Minister Lisa Neville, Encourage players to, quote, minimize interaction with mice, adding, quote, as I understand, there may have been some feeding going on. We will be- keep doing pest control if we need to, but hopefully that pest control work was done this week will have fixed the problem, end quote. Ten people in total who have flown to Melbourne for the tournament had now tested positive for the coronavirus, with three new cases on Wednesday compromising two players and a support person. A British bird watcher accidentally stumbled upon 1,300 pieces of buried treasure while watching some birds. According to Madeline Muzakis at ModernMet.net, the new accidental find by an unnamed Brit totals 1,300 gold pieces, which appear to be handmade coins from 1st century CE. The Iron Age Celtic coin hoard is thought by researchers to date to the reign of the warrior queen Boudica who led her people in a revolt against the Roman occupation of Britain. The discovery of the coin hoard is already causing excitement among researchers for its potential to reveal new information about Iron Age Britain. The coin was found after the bird watcher, on a walk, found a well-worn golden coin, and, after returning to the spot... He, fa- uh, uh, he found it in with a metal detector, found a copper chest bearing deep underground filled with gold coins. The coins were turned over to the British government for study, as per British laws about found treasure. Scientists hope to learn more about this fascinating period of Celtic history through the newly discovered coins. And finally, a new study by researchers at the University of Toronto said, says that it's, quote, perfectly normal to see images such as Jesus or the Virgin Mary in things like toast. According to Olivia Waxman at Time Magazine, the new study published in the journal Cortex identified a phenomenon called as Pace Peridola, the illusory perception of non-existent faces, caused by the interaction between frontal cortex, the part of the brain that helps Produce expectations of what an object should look like in the posterior visual cortex the part that processes the image researchers at the university of toronto in partnership with chinese universities performed brain scans on 20 participants and showed them computer-generated pictures made up of indiscernible shapes some were told in advance that they were going to see images of a face while others were told they will see a letter of the english alphabet in both instances about 35% saw an illusory image where there wasn't one. The study's head researcher, Kang Lee, of the University of Toronto's Eric Jackman Institute of Child Study, said in a statement, quote, Our findings suggest that it's common for people to see non-existent features because human brains are uniquely wired to recognize faces, so that even when there's only slight suggestion of facial features, the brain automatically interprets it as a face, end quote. The CBC reported that Lee also said that people who see Jesus or the Virgin Mary in food or other objects may see them because religious beliefs can dramatically impact how they want to see the way life works. And that's all the weird news I have for today. My name is Ivy Winfrey and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. This is the Rocky Mountain Review. Hi, this is Ben. Hey, what's up? It's Ed. And we're from the band Zebrahead. And you're listening to KCSU because it really rocks. And now for the weather.
0: Today, the weather was pretty cool out with a high of 44 and a low of 22, with low wind speeds and nearly no chance of rain. Friday, you can expect the same, but with a higher wind speed reaching up to 8 miles per hour. Saturday we'll be experiencing snow and high winds at eleven miles per hour with a high of forty-four and a low of twenty-one. Sunday, the sun will start to peak out and winds will decrease a bit with with wind speeds reaching seven miles per hour, with temperatures peaking at 39 degrees with a low of eighteen. Monday will be pretty similar with temperatures just a few degrees warmer with a high of forty and a low of twenty one. Tuesday, the snow will be coming back into Fort Collins with a high of thirty four and a low of fifteen with wind speeds reaching six miles per hour. And for Wednesday, you'll have to tune in next week on Tuesday for our third episode of the semester, airing at 4 p.m. only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damian Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank Elise Carver and Lydia Doty from Hope Lives for joining us today, as well as Thomas Taylor, Ellie Shannon, Asher Korn, Stephanie Keel, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Griffin Hamm, Jonathan Gillum, Ben Kruger, Ben Haney, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, Taylor Sandal, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Ivy. And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time.